You just think about that. My life laid down. That means there's no self-effort there. He's running after you. He's running after you. One of the beautiful things that I heard the other day, just keep singing. One of the beautiful things that I heard the other day, when thinking about the prodigal son, you go back to the Old Testament, a wayward son like that was told that he needed to be taken out in public and stoned to death. So those Pharisees, they're sitting there listening to that story prodigal son and they're thinking yeah we're about to get to the good part he's about to get stoned and then it pictures the father running out after him looking from a long way off he takes off running what is he doing he's interceding for those Pharisees that's wanting to throw the first stone he's interceding he wraps his loving arms around the prodigal son love is running after us. Nothing that we did. Nothing that we've done. Nothing that we're doing. My life laid down. I'm surrendered now. This is Him. He is pursuing. He has been pursuing us the whole time. He's never stopped. He's never stopped pursuing. So with that picture in mind, just close your eyes. Let's just sing that again. This is running after Come on. beautiful thing to know that um, when we mess up (laughs) he's not there to tear us down but he is pursuing us reaching after us you have your Bibles Hebrews chapter 5 Hebrews chapter 5 beginning with verse 11 says we have much to say about this topic although it is difficult to explain Because you have become too dull and sluggish to understand, for you should already be professors instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children still needing milk, not yet ready to digest solid food, for every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters and they've been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. So he says we should be going on. We looked at chapter 6 a couple of weeks ago and they said those things that we should be going on past even raising the dead. We should be past that. <laughs> Right, so he's like really talking about heavenly matters, right? Um, and so here in this passage, in, in this little part here, he says, if you're there, if you're still having to live on milk, then you still have not been pierced by the revelation of what righteousness. Who's righteousness? Christ. Christ. It's not ours, right? It's not ours. We can't boast about ours. 
Um, when we started out this series back in uh, January, February, whenever it was, um, but we started looking at those three major covenants. We looked at the Abraham covenant, we looked at the Moses um, covenant, and then we looked at the covenant with Jesus. And uh, if you're new or you're listening on podcast today for the first time, uh, go back, look at those. Um, it's about seven weeks worth of covenant. It's really going to help your understanding, knowing who God is, who you are. Um, he is not some God that's, you know, psychopath. Um, he's not... He's not this God that's just going off one day and then he's loved the next day. Um, and so it kind of helps us understand and break some of those things in the Old Testament that we don't understand. Um, not to mention the fact that the New Testament says that that was just a shadow of what the things were to come. If you're looking at a shadow, right? If, if the first time I got introduced to Julie was by her shadow and somebody told me to explain her, I'd say, well, it's like... Right? I can see the image. Right? I can see the image. But now, I can explain the look that she's giving me right now. I can't tell that in no shadow. I can't get that look in a shadow. Right? Um, and so, the real image is Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill and show us exactly what it was like. So, we had the shadow, yeah, but we didn't, we had this image, so to speak. But we did not have the true, true image. And Jesus came to show us that true image. And so here in this passage, he is telling us that image should be pierced on you, which is the revelation of righteousness, which is who he is, right? Which is who we are. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, right? And so that's what he's saying. We have to get pierced with that. Yeah, we understand he's righteous and righteous. But have we really comprehended that? Because if we really comprehended it, we would be going much deeper. So to show that we haven't gone much deeper shows we really haven't been pierced by that revelation. Does that make sense? So that's why we've been preaching on it for three years. <laughs> um, because until we see that, then see the evidence of it, then we've got to keep going deeper in it, right? So we looked at those covenants, and I just want to recap just a, re a minute, just to remind you. Remember, Abraham was pedigree, right? It was based off of who they were born in that bloodline. That was what their covenant was born in. Mosaic covenant with Moses was performance plus your pedigree. So it was both things, and they could not get the performance down, right? And so time and time and time and time and time goes by, goes by, goes by, and they still can't get it because they can't do it on their own. And Jesus says, I came to fulfill that for you. And in that, it is now not pedigree. It is not pedigree plus your performance. It is now position. Position is in Christ. And so then we broke it down and transitioning over to what we've been talking about over the last few weeks in sonship is the fact that in the Abraham covenant, they were more like infants. You don't Tyler, how many times you spanked that baby? Because if you said, yeah, your mom about to turn around and slap you. <laughs> you can't spank no infant. They don't know no better, right? And that's the same way God was treating Abraham and those, those generations was like infants. They didn't know no better. But he still loved them anyway. And then we come into the Mosaic Covenant and Paul says it was like a tutor. Like a schoolmaster, because they were like children, and they were trying to put them in line, but they were never able to graduate into sonship. They just continued to live in that schoolmaster mentality year after year, generation after generation, time and time again, and they could not step into sonship. And Jesus steps into sonship and says, this is what sonship looks like. Not only is it what it looks like, I'm redeeming it and putting it back in you to your original intent. So go to with me Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Passage we read last week, just going to recap on it real quick. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn heir of how many creations? All. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority, it all exists 
through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made. And now everything finds completion in him. Everything finds what? Mm. What do you think about that? Are you included in everything? What do he say about you? You're completion. You're completed. But we look around and we're like, nah, he ain't. he missed something. <laughs> I ain't completed, pal. Right? So what is he talking about? Your spirit. It's completed. Like we can't grow in righteousness. One thing Damon said the other day, he said, you can't grow in it. Like you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You can't grow in righteousness. You all you, you got it all. What you can do is grow in the knowledge of who you are. And so we need a more revelation of it, a more revelation of who we actually are because who we actually are has already been completed 2,000 years ago. We have been completed. And we are in Him. John 17, He's praying for us that we be in Him and He be in us, that we are the same. And so that is fullness. Why, how I know? That's what he keeps on saying. He exists before anything was made. Now everything finds completion in him. He's the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have how much of his fullness? All his fullness dwelling in Christ. And before I read that next verse, if his fullness, God's very fullness... Not 90%, not 99% of God, 100% of His fullness is in Christ. Where are you? Hmm. Can't separate. Remember the analogy we keep using week after week? You're the cup of water. God's the ocean. I pour you into the ocean. You can't a week later say, I want to go back in my cup. Where are you going to find you? You in. You in like Flynn. It's done. Like you ain't getting that. You ain't extracting it. It's blended all the way in. And his fullness is in Christ. And Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. So the fullness of God is where? In you. Then he goes on to say, And by the blood of his cross, everything, how much? Everything in heaven and earth is brought back to who? Himself. Back to its original, what? Intent. Restored to innocence again. Back to its original intent. So Jesus shows us, this is what it should have looked like. When he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, this is what relationships should look like with the Father. This is what it should look like when we walk on the earth. What's he doing? Restoring all things. And in that worship and in that intimacy that we talked about last week, when you're in that intimacy, that should be what takes you everywhere. See, Jesus said, I can't do nothing unless I see my Father doing it, unless I hear the Father say it. Why? Because He was in intimacy with the Father. He was in communion with the Father. And so in that oneness, that intent, that original intent, He says, this is what it should look like. So now I'm putting myself in you. Not so that you can be good little boys and girls, but that you can be me everywhere I go, everywhere you go. I'm going to place you all over the earth, and you're going to restore not just humanity, but even the cosmos. You're going to restore it. Why? He's in us. We're in Him. What should have happened? <laughs> we don't know it. See, what, we're, what we need to grow in, it's already completed. He said it is. If He said it is, then it is. The problem is, is that we don't know it. We have no revelation. It hasn't gotten deep down in our heart that this is true. And if it has gotten deep down in our heart that it is true, then it will show in our life. Right? Not that we're striving. Not that we're trying to make it happen. Simply because of who we are. Right? The apple tree is out there not trying and striving to make oranges. They just produce apples. They're just sitting there. They're not running around. They're not saying, hey, bring me this, bring me that. They just sit there, soak up the sun, soak up the water when it comes, sitting in their soul and produce. Jesus said in John 15, you connected to me, I connected to him, he's going to what? Produce. 
He's going to. Like there's no striving anymore. It's just going to happen. So go with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. I want you to see this. That it says, go back to its original intent. Week after week, you'll hear me or you'll hear Brent say, you have a scroll written over your life. I know we're in 2022. People don't use the word scroll a lot. You have a book written over your life. Right? And it was written over you before you were even born. How do I know? The Bible says so. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, I knew you. This is God saying this to Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah's like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do what you told me to do. Like, I can't. He's arguing with God. And he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I did what? Set you apart. And appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Then verse 6, O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Right? We all got excuses. The Lord replied, don't say, I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Sound familiar? I can't do anything unless the Father tells me. I can't do anything unless I see my Father do it. What's he saying? In intimacy, this is how we're going to do it. And don't be afraid of the people, for I'll be with you. I'll protect you. I, the Lord, have what? Spoken. And the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I put my words in your mouth. Today I point you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, Look, what do you see? And then he tells him what he sees, and he says, good, you interpreted it well. And so he's training him now, right? But what did he have to do? Before Jeremiah can actually go out, prophesy, see the things that he sees in the heavenly realm. Did you see that? He's seeing things in another realm. That thing that Brent was talking about earlier that you could see, he's seeing right now in another realm, right? Did he see in another realm before that? Nope. When did he begin to see in this other realm? Yeah, when God talked to him, but what is God talking to him about? What is he first addressing him about? His original intent. Who he originally was. He says, look here, Jeremiah. Before you even come out your mother's womb, I already knew you. I not only knew you, I had you in the courtroom of God and I declared these things over you that this is what you're going to do. But you have been clouded your whole life from the time you come out of your mother's womb. You've been clouded by this world and you don't even know who you are. You see that? So he didn't know who he was. So whenever he announces to him, this is who you really are, first thing he wants to do is back up and he says, nope, I've already spoken. Like I already spoke before you were born and I'm speaking now to remind you of who you are so that something on the inside awakens, right? And so when this new thing starts awakening, Jeremiah begins to see, oh, I, I kind of see like, I see what you're saying now. That's who I am. So if that's who you say I am, Right? If the rhema word of God, the logos word, not that's the written word, the rhema word, the freshly spoken word of God, right there in that moment tells him, this is who I've declared you to be this whole time, he's like, well, that's who I am then. And when he recognizes who he is, now he sees into a whole other realm. Not only can he see into that realm, he is in communion with the Father, and he only says what he hears the Father say. And he only does what he sees the Father do. But it started with awakening on the inside of realizing who he was the whole time. He didn't know. He had no idea. Look at, look at this passage. Go to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Psalms 139 verse 16 says, You saw who you created me to be before I became me. This is the Father speaking about you and me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the numbers of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. And I know this is, um, I know this is hard for you two to hear this, this morning. But one thing that the Father spoke to me this morning when I was reading back over that verse this morning was this, guys. I don't have all the answers and I, I can't answer the why questions. 
But I do know this, as he whispered this to me as I was reading this this morning. He was never not in his presence. Not one second was he ever outside of his presence. As he was speaking over him before he was in your womb, and even now, he has never been outside his presence. He has been intimately known his whole life. And I know even the other night, and today I keep saying he, I don't know if it's he or she, I just, I just keep going to he, but know that. Intimately known, just as you have been intimately known. Verse 17, every single moment you are thinking of me. This is what he's saying to you. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought not just now this was before you were born and even now oh god your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore when i wake each morning you're still with me hmm. and that's why i can say with confidence what i just said with you but for us in this room right now that means he has declared this over your life. But most of us in this room have not awakened to what He's already declared over us. One is you're the beloved in Christ. And when you're the beloved, that means you're just like His Son, Jesus. I didn't say kind of like, I said just like. That means identical. Okay? Alright? Galatians 1.15, go there. Galatians one. Verse 15, Paul says, But then God called me by His grace and chose me from my birth to be His. He was pleased to unveil His Son in me so that I would proclaim Him to the peoples of the world. God revealed to him the same thing He's revealing. So this that we see in Jeremiah is not just for Jeremiah. Okay? It is, it is the law of first mention that we talk about a lot of times. This is the open door for us, for everybody to see this is what happens in the spiritual realm before you are sent here in your mother's womb. He has something recorded for you, something for you to do. But we get clouded by life, we get clouded by the enemy because the enemy has heard what he has declared over you in the courtroom of God and his, his plan is to what? Kill, steal, destroy. What? That plan. For you not to rise up as a son on the earth so that the things of God can take place on the earth. And so we get clouded by all the things of life and we just trying to make it, right? Just trying to make it. Just trying to pay gas. How are we going to get money? Pray for a couple people here and there. And then we die, right? Right? Like there's got to be like even our common sense if we would just, just be still for a minute. We have to realize there's got to be some reason we're here more than that. Yeah. And it's got to be so much more than just getting your ticket punched so one day we can hopefully leave this hell on earth. No, you're supposed to make heaven on earth. You're supposed to bring it. Quit saying the world is going to hell in a handbasket when you're supposed to be bringing heaven. That's what he told us to do. Where heaven invades earth. We are the gateway for that to happen. But we have been clouded our whole life to not even know that. Religion tells us all kinds of stuff about us that's not true. Religion tells us we're not good enough. Religion says try harder. Anything that's trying to tell you to try harder at church is religion. Man-made efforts. He's not telling you to try hard. He's trying, he's trying to tell you to be. It's not the do attitudes, it's the be attitudes. It's who you be. It's not who you do. Got it? And so he's trying to awaken this on the inside of us. In John chapter 3, think about Nicodemus. And Jesus has that intimate conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a, is a um, Pharisee, so he's a little nervous about meeting with Jesus, so they got to meet at night, like undercover, incognito. I want to talk with you. Like, I believe what you're saying. I believe you might even be the Messiah, but I can't let everybody else see that. So they go going to have this meeting the very first Nick at night, and there they are, they're having all this conversation. And then in that 
situation, what happens is, is he's telling him some things, and, John, and uh, Nicodemus is like, I can't perceive this. And he's like, if you can't even perceive this, right? And he says, to perceive this, you must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. How am I going to go in my mother's womb? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you still not getting it. He says, you must be born from above. So I would like for you to think about something in a whole different way this morning. You're not just getting a new identification. You're getting re-identified to who you originally were. It says in Colossians you were brought back to your original intent. So when you're born from above, you get to see who you really were called to be from the beginning. As he overshadows you and speaks to you, something begins to awaken on the inside of you and responds. You ever remember the story of um, the, the ugly duckling story? Well, my principal as an elementary school, I guess, is coming out in me. But just to remind you, the story of the ugly duckling, remember there were the eggs there, and they all started hatching out. It's about six or seven. I can't remember exactly. I was going to read the whole story to you, and I looked it up last night, and it was too long. I said, y'all be done left by the time I got finished reading. <laughs> so I'm going to paraphrase. But, so you got the eggs there. They start hatching. They're coming out, coming out. But there's this bigger egg than all the rest of them. And she's beginning to give up on it because it hasn't hatched when all the rest of them have hatched. And so she's sitting there, sitting there, and, and there's another one that comes up, another uh, duck comes up and says, that might be a turkey, that's not a duck, that's got to be a turkey. And she's like, no, I don't know, she's they're going back and forth, she finally says, you know what, I'm just going to keep sitting on it. Well, she sits on it and it finally hatches and she's like, oh, it finally came out, but he don't look like the rest of the duck. And so the other woman that said, I think that's a turkey, then they started looking at it and said, that's definitely not a turkey either, that's just an ugly duck. <laughs> He's just ugly. He's a duck, but he's ugly, right? And so all his, his whole time as he's born, he's just going around, going around, going around, and everybody's calling him ugly. He don't fit in. He's not what he's supposed to be. He's the ugly duckling, right? And he's down on himself. And so he, long story short, he's about to give up on life. And so winter comes in, and, and he, he's kind of hiding out in winter, and he's growing, and he's, he's starting to develop a little different. And he finally goes out. It's the end of winter. He sees a bunch of geese. I mean, he sees a bunch of swans. They're just all flying in to that pond. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll just jump out in front of them. There's so many of them. They won't see me, and they'll just pound me, and I'll die. And I'll finally be done with this life. Like, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being picked on. I obviously don't belong. And so when he runs out, to his surprise, he runs out in front of them, and they all stop and look at him and start waving him in and all gather around him and hug him and welcome him in. And he's so confused. He's like, I've been ugly my whole life. Why are they hugging me? And he looks down into his reflection in the pond and he sees he's identical to the other swans that are in the pond. He was a swan the whole time. He wasn't a duck. That's why he didn't fit in with the other ducks. He had been a swan his whole entire life but he did not know his identity. The family that he grew up in didn't know his identity. Remember Abraham last week? They didn't know his identity. Abraham was told, go find yourself. I'm going to rename you, son. You're not going to be Abram anymore. You're going to be Abraham, right? And he renamed him because he was not identified with who he really was. Just like the ugly duckling, he wasn't identified with who he really was. And when he finally found who he was, he came alive. And he soared with the other swans. He came alive. In Psalms 23, in the mirror version, in the study notes, this is what he says. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. You remember that part in Psalms 23? The mirror version says, By the waters of reflection, my soul remembers who I am. <laughs> <laughs> We don't know who we are. We've got to understand this. So it's, that's not a new identification. It's a re-identification back to the original identification to who we were before we were formed in our mother's womb and He knew us. 
right? We didn't have to become something that we're not. He's not asking us to become something we're not. He's redeeming us so we can become what He's asked us to be from the very beginning. That's what He was telling Jeremiah. He's like, look, you're missing it. Like you're saying you can't because you don't know who you are. You don't know what I proclaimed over you. But now that I'm telling you what I proclaimed over you, now you can go do what I told you to do. Abraham is the same way. We see it time and time again. What happened with Saul? He changed to Paul. He renamed him, right? And there's been a renaming in you. You can go to Isaiah. Maybe we'll get to it one day. But in Isaiah, it says your new name in Zion, which is where we're living now, is beloved. That's your new name. Beloved in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the beloved son of Christ. I mean, of God. Just like Christ. The beloved son. Just like he loved him, he loves you. you got to think about that. That's your identification now. So go with me to John chapter 5. I want to remind you, we've talked about this before, but I hope it gives you a new insight a little bit. But in John chapter 5, it's the story of the crippled man at Bethesda. Remember that? And he'd been there long, long time, 38 years. And the story was, you know, they go out to the water. Somebody can get them out there in the water and the angel stirs the water. They're going to be healed, right? And so he comes up with excuses when Jesus says, don't you want to be healed? And he comes up with all excuses. Sir, I don't have nobody to put me in the pool. I don't have nobody to do this. He starts making excuses, feels sorry for himself. Don't you feel sorry for me too, right? But Jesus, I want you to look at what he says. In verse 6, he says, When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. And Jesus said to him, Do you truly long to be well? Now listen to Dr. Simmons' footnotes on this. This is what it means. Are you convinced that you are already made whole? The Greek word, Greek phrase there, genestei, is actually not a future tense, want to be healed, but an aorist middle infinitive that indicates something already accomplished. Jesus was asking the crippled man if he was ready to abandon how he saw himself and now receive the faith for his healing. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus was asking the crippled man if he was ready to abandon how he saw himself and now receive the faith for his healing. Are you ready to abandon how you see yourself? Can you imagine? Now, use this as an allegory, but we're crippled. We're walking around, hobbling around. I need this. I need that. Oh, brother, won't you pray for him? Won't you pray for him? It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. We cripple. We cripple. We cripple. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do because we don't know who we are. Because the healing came, the physical healing came for this man when? When he realized who he was. When was Jeremiah able to do what he had to do? When he realized who he was. When was Abraham able to change Canaan land? Remember, it was a famine in the land when he got there. And remember, just think about this too. Him and Lot, they get there. And what happens with Lot? He's like, I want this part of the land. He's like, pick whatever you want. What's Lot get? The best of the best. And Abraham's like, that's fine. That's what you want. Go get it. Go get it. Why? Because Abraham knew wherever I go, it's going to reverse the curse. Because we see what happened with Lot in the land he chose. It gets destroyed. Even though it was the best of the best. It ended up getting destroyed because Lot didn't know who he was. But Abraham's like, take whatever you want because I know wherever I go, it's going to reverse the curse. You see, how do, do we do that? I want you to think about situations at work. Get frustrated? Get a little more personal. What about situations at home? Get frustrated? God changed them. Don't change me. Change them. So I can be better at home. Good Lord. If they would just change, I would have a better time at home. Right? What are we doing? We're praying still for ourselves. Selfish prayers about ourselves. That's all we're doing. Right? However, what would change at our house if we finally discovered who we were and reversed the curse at home and reversed the curse at work and reversed the curse of the nation? Now we talk. But we can't even reverse the curse at work, much less in, like, I've been asking, we have some personal friends from Ukraine, 
and I've been asking for us to intercede, but you think about that. We really don't know how to intercede for them because we really don't know how to intercede for our people next door. But it still goes back to we don't know who we are. Like we still want to approach God with the orphan-like mentality to say, oh God, oh God, help them, help them, help them, help them. Instead of us getting to the realm that Brent spoke about earlier and actually changing the things. Do you believe Jesus, let me just ask you this, do you believe Jesus can change the world? Think about it. Like, most of the time I hear people that say, oh, the world's going to hell in the handbasket, right? And they're Depends on who they are, but most of them are church-going people, and they'll say, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. I'm just ready for him to come back. He got to be here any day because it's just getting worse and worse. Brother, you must not have read what happened in 70 A.D. if you think it's getting worse and worse. <laughs> you ain't lived through worse and worse till you look at some of those people. So that theory's out, <laughs> right? So you... And then we're running around, God help these people, help these people. And then we want to say, they just need more Jesus. If they just had more Jesus, it'd be better. Like I hear that phrase a lot, people I work with. The only reason they don't have more Jesus is because you ain't letting him out. Like, that's it. Like, that's... We don't know who we... That's what I'm saying. Like, if we really believe what we're saying that we're just spouting out, what are we doing? We're saying, well, it's up to Jesus. He must not be ready to do it. He's in control. We're just puppets on a string. If he wants to do it, he's in control. Sovereign doesn't mean control. <laughs> it means in charge, not control. So if we want to really get down to it and say, yeah, they do need more Jesus. But if we really believe that, wouldn't we be releasing that? See, we just want to use it as an excuse to say, well, it hadn't changed yet, so Jesus must not want it to change. But those who have been pierced by the revelation of righteousness are going to move on beyond those little spiritual milks that we call, they just need more Jesus. And we're going to move on to Hebrews chapter 6. It says to more spiritual things in the spiritual realm. And we're going to be like sons of God, just like Jesus, and change the world. It gets quiet in here when you start saying that because, one, we're getting scared. <laughs> that I've actually got to take responsibility. I can't put it on Jesus anymore. The other thing we want to say that's almost like blasphemy because, I mean, it is up to Jesus, not up to me. Again. You don't know who you are. <laughs> that shows us how far we have fallen, how far we have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way. Right? But God, but God made a way through Jesus Christ. Right? Go with me to Romans chapter 8. You thought I was doing it. Romans 8, 14. Romans 8, verse 14. The mature children of God. Ooh. Now, didn't we just start off with that in Hebrews? Hebrews says we need to move on past spiritual milk, right? And how do we do that? Be pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Then we're going to move on to more mature things. What? Being sons. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The mature, mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. What? Think about what we've been saying today. The mature children of God are not those who are going around and saying, I wish Jesus hurry and come back. I wish Jesus hurry and come back. And they are not the ones that say, well, I mean, they just need more Jesus. Bless their hearts. Right? We won't say bless their heart a lot. They ought to be blessed as much as we say bless their heart. Right? And he says the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. This is not about us 
doing the right thing, getting a list of rules, right? I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and he says, man, there's just so much, just so much in my, that I just want to do right. And he said, I just can't seem to get it right. So much unrighteousness in me. He said, I just wish I had a list of rules and somebody would just say, just do these things and you'll be fine. And I, he said, and that's what I wish you would, you know, you or somebody would just say, don't do these things. And if you don't do these things, I said, bro, you're going right back to the law. The Bible specifically says that's what's going to keep you in bondage. Getting you a list of rules of do's and don'ts. That's what's going to keep you in bondage, right? That is not what's going to release you to be free. Kick Ishmael out of the camp like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. Leading you back to what? Oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Right? That's the other thing that comes up in our, in our being whenever we're talking about these kinds of things. That we are to change the world. We're supposed to shift the environment when we walk in the room. Those kinds of things. What are we, admit, what are we wanting to say? No, I can't do that. Leading us back to a fear of saying, I'm never going to be able to do that. What did Jeremiah say? I can't do that, God. I'm too young. He says, this is what I've declared over you. This is who you are. And when we finally realize this is what he says we really are, who he says that we really are, then something's going to come up inside of us and not lead us keep going back to that bondage. But you receive the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. You will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. That's who we are. For the Holy Spirit makes Father God real to us. It's not some way off far God in the sky and the cosmos, way off, way off, and we hope He hears us if we jump and we shout, or if we don't eat today, we, don't, we fast, and maybe He'll hear us. That's not what He says. He makes the Father real to us as He whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved. You're what? Where did we ever see that before? The two times that he identifies God with an audible voice where other people out there hear the audible voice of God when Jesus comes up out of the water. This is my beloved son who am well pleased. And then at the transfiguration, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And he says, what about you, beloved son? That's you. You are God's beloved son. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. What did he do with treasures? Did Jesus take treasures and just keep them for himself? Or did he constantly go around everywhere giving his treasures away? Which one? Giving them away. And he says, those same treasures... You're the heir to those things too. So that means we can give life. That means we can give health. We can give healing. We can give, uh, speak a word and comfort. We can do those things. Why? Because He's in us. It's not us doing it. It's, he's enfolded us in Himself so that whenever we release Him, it is Him coming out, not us. Right? Since we are children to share all children indeed, we are heirs of God Himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit how many? All that He is. And all that He has. All that He is and all that He has. How much? All means all. All means all. Not in the sweet by and by. When? Right now. We will experience being co-glorified with Him provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. You don't think Abraham experienced some suffering whenever he left everything that he knew? And I described last week everything that I knew when I left it. It felt like death to me. But it is nothing. I'm telling you three years later, it is nothing compared to the glory that I've been able to experience in the spiritual realm. Nothing compared. Right. I mean, absolutely nothing compared. Right. 
Like so much so that I can't, it seems like it was a bad dream ago my life before. To where now it is all brand new. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe. Yearning to see the unveiling of, of God? Of Christ? What did it say? The earth is on tiptoe waiting for Christ's return, right? Is that what it says? Hmm. Entire universe is stay on tiptoe for God to finally intervene. Is that what it says? The entire universe is stand on tiptoe waiting on the rapture. Is that what it says? Hmm. No, it says the entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. And I'm here to announce to you today, you are beloved. You are His. You are loved. You are loved, so loved. More than you could ever know. that everything that you've ever done wiped away as far as the east is from the west and when you try to bring it up to him he says I don't even know what you're talking about because see that was whenever you didn't know who you were and I'm telling you that's not even you but you've been born from above and this is what I've spoken over you this is who you really are this is who you really are for against its will, talking about the earth, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, I want you to think about Abraham. That lamb was under a curse. It had been cursed by Noah. And Abraham is brought into that place to redeem the curse. Isn't that what Jesus did everywhere he went? Everywhere. Just think about, think about the fact that whenever the man that is uh, legion, right? Legion, all those demons are on him. And Jesus says, I've got to cross, got to cross over to the other side because I got, I got a mission I got to do. He gets over there and all he does is free the guy, tell him who he is, and they get back in the boat and they're gone. They don't go over there. They don't go through the city. They're not out there to visit. He's got a mission. And the guy begs to go with Jesus and learn from him. And Jesus puts him over that territory. Why? Just go tell him what happened. Tell him who you are. <laughs> You're not legion anymore. This is your new identity. Think about the woman at the well. She leaves from there. She's like, come and hear everything that this man, he's, he knows everything about me. Remember he told her, even the man you with now is not your husband. Let me tell you who you really are. So your identity is called up in all that. All those men, all those marriages. And your identity is caught up in that and you still don't even know who you are. Let me tell you who you are. All of Samaria begins to get transformed by that one lady because she goes and releases who she really is. And they all come flocking to him. Not because she went through a seven-week discipleship plan. Not because she joined the next denomination of church. But because she found out who she was by the person who knew her intimately. And he says, you're beloved. You're beloved. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were the con contractions of labor for childbirth and it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruit of the Spirit are also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Including that. Isn't that what happened with the guy 
at Bethesda. His physical body came into alignment when he realized who he really was. He told Adam, I mean, he told Abraham, go find your true self, your more authentic self. Your more authentic self. Now skip down to verse 28. I love this. Verse 28. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us, not destined us whether we're saved or going to hell or heaven. He destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. What is predestination? To conform, to be like his son. He announced it over you before you even came to earth. In the image of his son. It was announced over you before you ever came in to this earth. He knew all about us before we were born. He destined us from the beginning to share his likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who, listen to this, listen to this, who will become, talking about us, just like him. <laughs> Those are not my words. That's like, it's really in here. Like, when we hear messages like that, a lot of us have religion backgrounds, grew up in church, who constantly told you who you were not. It's time to eat from the I am tree, the tree of life, the I am tree, and not the I am not tree. Who keeps telling you this is who you're not? Just close your eyes a minute. just want you to picture him standing over you, calling you. My beloved. I want you to picture the what you can imagine God's face must look like when he looks at Jesus. Do you think he looks at his son disappointed? Do you think he looks at Jesus with a frown on his face? Now, when we see the Father mentioned the beloved Son, those two things in the Gospels. Jesus hasn't even accomplished the cross yet. One, that proves it is not about works. It's because who He called you to be. But even then, I want you to just imagine when they triumphed over death, hell, and the grave, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. I want you to picture in your mind what a reunion that must have been for the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and perichoresis in the great dance of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine what kind of dance and celebration must have took place. First John says, as he is now, as Jesus is right now, so are we in this world. So as you get that picture of what it looked like with father and son together in that moment, that's what I want you to picture now as you. Because you've been included. You've been included in that great circle dance. You've been included in the beloved. That's your new identity. So Father, I pray you release in this place the spirit of adoption where we all cry out, Abba, Father. With the Holy Spirit inside of us, 
intimately groans and says, Father, Daddy, Papa. And we begin to be transformed by the renewing of our minds of who you really are and who we really are. Who you say I am. Who you say I am, that is who I am. And if you said it, then so be it. I pray that you release in this room a rising up in everyone in this room that says, I've had enough of Ishmael and I'm kicking him out of that camp. I've had enough. And I'm kicking him out of the camp. And I simply allow the Father to intimately kiss and hug and dance with me right now. Until I finally, finally believe who He says I really am. See, one of the things I want you to notice in Romans chapter 8, there's a cosmic reformation that begins to take place. The whole cosmos. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos back to Himself. And we see in Romans chapter 8 that there is a cosmic reformation beginning to take place. But that cosmic reformation doesn't begin to take place until there's an individual identification take place. That's why we keep saying it for three years. Because if it can take place and it can finally light up inside of you, it's going to set a fire. Oh, it's going to set a fire. And it's going to burn. You're going to burn. You're going to burn. And you're going to burn until the others around you begin to burn. When you and those that are around you begin to burn, look, those places that you're going into is not going to have a choice but to transform because your burning is going to burn out everything that is not of love's kind. The consuming fire of God is inside of you. And when you take it into those places, it's going to burn out everything that's not of love's kind. And it's going to ignite everything that is of Him. And burn brighter and brighter and brighter. So burn. Today burn. Get the revelation and burn. Get the revelation of righteousness. Let it pierce your heart. Maybe you just want to go into that courtroom now with him. Say, Father, I want to hear what you spoke over me before I came to this earth. It's okay if you don't hear anything right now. He may whisper it to you on your way home. He may lay down tonight. He might say, Katie B. What I have for you. I want you to go ahead and ask him the question now. And then just put yourself in a posture to hear. Be still and know that I am God. Just stand in his presence. Just stand. Just begin to soak in his presence. time need somebody to pray with you maybe you woke up today for the first time and realized I'm not who I thought I was and being born again is not about getting your ticket punched it's actually coming to alignment who you were called to be from the very beginning back into your original intent born from above. Come into alignment today.
Look, those disappointments don't define you. We all have disappointments in this room. We all have things we wish they would have worked out different. But that don't mean He can't redeem. That was what was lost. But that's where it begins. He told Jeremiah, some of those things you might have to tear down. He said, but there's going to be some things I want you to build up. There's going to be some things that you're going to realize in your life when He declares who you really are and what He has called you to do. There's going to be some things you're going to to tear down. There's also some things that He's going to build up. Brand new. Brand new. Sing. It's not a building. It's my heart. This empty space.